Pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hope you had a very happy Memorial Day and you got out and visited with relatives and friends and just had a great day. Well, I'll tell you what, this weekend could not have been any better for a three-day weekend for all of us who probably deserved it. The Indians have played pretty good baseball. The Reds continue their woes with the hitting, and to talk a little bit about that here on tonight's holiday edition of Ohio Baseball Weekly, Let's go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you today? I'm well, Dave, although I, I am forced through habit and conviction to uh, continue to watch the Reds, which uh, does ruin many a holiday uh, or a weekend for me, <laughs> but uh, I won't dwell on my angst yet. Well, we will dwell enough on that. Mark, uh this, of course, Memorial Day where we have to, uh, we don't have to, but we like to go back and think about the the people that we have lost. Any stories that you would like to reflect here on this Memorial Day before we really get into the angst of our our emotions for today? Well, interesting you say that because about an hour ago, hour and a half ago, uh, we walk our dogs over to the cemetery, and a, a friend of mine that I went to high school with, um, was killed in Vietnam. And back in high school, it, 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 for those of you who were in the Vietnam era, uh, in many cases, you, it, it wasn't real. You, you saw it on TV and you heard about it and all those things. Mm-hmm. And But when your friends began dying in Vietnam and they, they didn't come home, and uh, I'm not trying to be trite, but you're dead for a long time. And I looked, he died in 19, looked like he died in 1970. And um, that, you know, his life was over when he was 25 years old. And uh, it just, it's so sad to think about those guys and the hundreds of thousands of others that uh, have fallen, really protecting our ability to do what we do. And, uh, my hats off to those guys and uh, and women, and uh, it's it's. I, I think the the country has come a long way uh, in recognizing those individuals far far more than they did uh, you know back twenty thirty years ago. At least I, I don't recall the kind of recognition that people are getting now, and it is so well deserved. No, it's it's hard to believe, Mark. You bring up the Vietnam War and. You know, we don't want to get political on this show in in any sort of way, but it, it should be said that basically what you said is absolutely correct. We have changed our way of thinking on our heroes coming home from wars in the past 20 or 30 years because remember back in the 60s and 70s when these kids came home from Vietnam, it was a different country back then. It was different emotions back then. There was more upheaval in this country. And when the veterans came home from that war, they were yelled at, screamed at, and even spit upon when they came off the, the planes and the airports. And and they weren't welcomed home like they are today. Yeah, and I think that was just due to a lack of education by the people back in those days. Uh, they didn't know who to be mad at, so they picked the soldiers because they were there. Uh, of course, the, the government and the, the, the politicians got it in, got us into that war, and many, many others. And it's it's unfortunate. Let's hope we we never have to go to war again like we did. And uh, again, a tribute, hats off to to all those who served and protected all of us. Mark, this seems rather trite when we talk about this on Memorial Day, but I've got to be honest with you. I when we watch. Or when we do this show on Monday nights at 9 o'clock, normally you've got the Reds game on, I've got the Indians game on. Well, the Indians played this afternoon and lost 6-2 to two to the White Sox. But tonight the Reds are playing the Dodgers in Los Angeles, Mark. And here in the little commune that I call home, in between Cleveland and Columbus, the game is blacked out. <laughs> I can't watch the game tonight. I, I beg somebody to call in tonight and please explain to me baseball's blackout rules. 
Well, David, I, I think baseball just doesn't like you. <laughs> I, think every, I think everybody else in America is watching the game except you. I'm watching it, and I think a lot of our, our, our fans are watching it. So I think some of the things you've said about Major League Baseball has finally gotten to Bud Selig, and he said that Dave Mitchell guy is never going to watch a Reds game again. Well, I did get the opportunity to watch Saturday night's game, Mark, on Fox Sports, and obviously you may be correct because I emailed you during that ball game, and I had no idea who was doing the game with Tom Brenneman, but I said to you in the email, and I think you'll, you'll verify this, is this guy being paid by the word? Because it seemed to me like everything that happened in that game, he had a long explanation for it all. And I, evidently it was Gabe Kapler. That's right. And he's not, uh, he's not, of course, a household name by any means. He wasn't a household name as a player either. But, uh, yeah, some of these announcers, it's a work in progress, and they, uh, they, I, I think they, <laughs> they need, I don't know if there's a school for color announcers or not, but, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the Reds particularly, and I, I don't know about the Indians, but the Reds have been blessed through their, their history, at least the history I have followed, of having just outstanding broadcasters. You may disagree with them, but they're, but they're very good. Uh, going back to Al Michaels and Wade Hoyt and, and Tom, uh, uh, Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall and, and others have been very, very good. So we're fortunate, and some of these teams I listen to, wow, I, I don't understand how these guys have a job. Yeah, I was very disappointed in Gabe Kapler. As far as I'm concerned, Devin Mesoraco should have had an eye appointment on Sunday. He should have opened up. He'd gone to Walmart or something to the optical center because, according to Gabe Kapler, when Mesoraco was at the plate, he wasn't picking up the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand. And when he was catching, he wasn't picking up the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand. To me, Devin Mesoraco just had a bad eyesight night and probably should have opened up some sort of an optical center on Sunday morning to go get his contacts readjusted or something. Well, um, you alluded briefly at the open uh, about the woes of the Reds, and, and I'll let you pontificate. Although the Indians had a pretty good week, uh, the Reds didn't. And, you know, it's hard not to complain when you're a fan of a team that's doing poorly. You know, everybody thinks they've got the answers. Everybody thinks that they have a way to figure it out. But to baseball, whether you love it or you hate it, is really predicated on statistics. I, I would dare say that baseball has more statistics than just about every sport. So in my quest for the Holy Grail, which is the answer to the Reds' woes, I, I looked at the statistics a little more closely this week to see if I could pick up on why the Reds are doing so poorly. Let me start on a positive note. They are number one in defense. They've only committed 21 errors this year. To put that in perspective, the Indians have committed 53 errors. So the team that I think is 10th has committed 39 errors. The Reds are the, Baltimore and Cincinnati are the two best defensive teams in baseball, but after that it drops off rather precipitously. Uh, in ERA, the Reds are in the middle, actually the top third. They have, uh, I think, a number nine best ERA in the league. Uh, and the starting pitching is even much better than that. When you look at their whip, that's walks and hits uh, per inning, they're eight. Saves, this is a problem. They're 10 out of 17, which puts them 27th. Home runs allowed, they've given up the fourth most home runs of 53. So that's a pitching and defensive side. So if the pitching is okay, uh, you know, certainly in the top 10 overall, number one in defense, let me ask you, O'Seer and baseball man of knowledge, what do you think might be their problem? Um, bullpen? <laughs> 
you would actually think that it would be the hitting, and in this case, Mark, I would agree with you that you are probably correct. Yes, David, you are an intelligent man. Uh, and in hits, the Reds are 27th in the league in hitting, or with number of hits. In runs, they're 26th. Home runs, 25th. Doubles, 20th. Triples, 27th. RBIs, 29. They're 29th out of 30 teams. Batting average, 23rd. OPS, 25th. That's the Reds' problem. Now, you don't have to be a, a baseball expert to look at the statistics and say, gee whiz, this team needs to improve their offense. Now, I'll ask you a second question. What do you think the Reds have done since the end of last year to improve their offense? Brian Pena. Yeah, and he's a backup catcher. Correct. But that's all, that's the epitome of what they've done. That's it. That's it. I mean, literally, you could say that Brian Pena is what they have done to increase their offense, Mark, because that that's who they brought in. That's it. That's right. There's nothing else they there's nothing else they have done. And if you want to know what drives Reds fans nuts, it's that fact that they haven't done anything since the end of last year. And I don't think Walt Jockety is going to do anything. I, my, I feel your frustration, Mark. It's the same frustration that I felt three years ago when the Indians were mired in fourth and fifth place all season long under Manny Acta, and Chris Antonetti and Mark Shapiro did absolutely nothing to stop it. And even when the Indians were in contention, they did absolutely nothing to help this ball club out. And I still say that when they did nothing in 2010 and 2011 at the trade deadline, when they were near first place, that just disgusted the team so much that they went out and just took a dive in the second half of the season. That's where I think the front office can lead a team to a winning season, by going out and showing them, Mm -hmm. by getting an extra bat, in the case of the Reds, that they believe in this team and that they need an extra piece and the front office is out there trying to do something about it. But Walt Jockety, for the last three years, Mark, it's been the same problem and hasn't done anything about it. Yeah, I'm at a loss. Bob Castellini, in my opinion, has done a remarkable job with this team since he took over his ownership. I I just don't believe that, that Bob would not agree to a move if if his front office came to him and said, hey, we, we here's a player we can pick up. Here are two players we can pick up. We have great pitching, we have great defense, and we need a bat or two. So I, I really think it's Walt Jockety who either refuses to do anything or is, is simply stumped on what it is he can do. Well, if he's stumped, then he is in the wrong profession. I'm sorry. You just, as a general manager, Mark, you cannot be stumped as to what you can do because everybody and their brother understands what's wrong with the Reds, understands what has been wrong with the Reds for the last three years, and has made suggestions on how to fix it. All Walt Jackety has to do is look at the newspaper or listen to the radio and figure out how to fix it if he's that stumped. Well, that's true, and I was being somewhat facetious that uh, right. when, when you look at the Reds' pitching staff, the Reds are going to have six starting pitchers coming up here in the next couple of weeks when, Ma- when Matt Latos comes up. That doesn't include what they have in the minors. They have two very, very highly touted uh, minor leaguers in Double A ball that, that conceivably could be on the, on the big league roster this year. They've got other bullpen help, which I'll get to in a minute. But they simply look at this offense. They're 29th in runs scored. 29th. They're they're over a hundred runs behind the number one team. That's a hundred runs in 50 games. That's two runs per game. The Reds would be in first place by 
probably seven or eight games if they had scored that many runs this year. So even if they only picked up a single bat and picked up another 25, 30 runs, they would be in contention if not in first place. But they, this could be a train wreck. This team, as I said, on opening day, I predicted this team without a chance, without a change was going to finish fourth. Well, this team could finish fourth, but they could also finish fifth. And I, I just don't understand what what I am missing here that that uh, Walt Jockerty sees that I don't and you don't, and I think every fan who's a Reds fan in baseball. Well, and even if Walt Jockerty sees something, Mark, it has not materialized over the last year and a half. And if something, if you see something, and it doesn't materialize over that period of time, Mark, it's not going to happen. Now, granted, Cozart's hitting the ball better. Granted, Frazier has been rather consistent all year. But when you've got an offensive team like the Reds do, the only way for you to score runs and to pick up big innings is by taking extra bases and by stealing bases. That is where Billy Hamilton comes in. Now, you were looking at numbers today. I was looking at numbers today. The thing that I was impressed about Billy Hamilton was he's hitting a lot better than you actually thought he was going to. You were expecting 230-240. He's hitting around 252 right now going into tonight's game. But what bothers me about Billy Hamilton, Mark, is his stolen base ratio. He's 18 for 24. Now, initially that sounds pretty good, Mark. But when you break it down, that's only a 75% ratio for a guy who's the fastest man on your team and is expected to steal anywhere from 65 to 75 bases this year. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit with that. I was looking at the same thing, and that's a good point. I also look back at Maury Wills. Remember Maury Wills? Yes. For the Dodgers? When he first came up, I think the first year, he only stole 15, 20 bases. And he was never faster than when he first came up. But base stealing is a learned talent. And right now, Billy Hamilton is doing it strictly on speed. I don't think he's figured out the the pitchers yet. He's not uh, figured out the catchers. He's not figured out situational steals. And I I think he will. Uh, I think this guy, I mean, he's still on a pace to steal 60 bases this year. But I think he'll be capable of 80 to 100 stolen bases when he gets a little more experience. So, you know, I still, I'll still i stick with my prediction he's going to hit 230, 240 this year. I know he's at two, over 250, but I think that'll come down. But Billy Hamilton isn't the problem. Uh, the problem is the guy batting now for the Reds, Ryan Ludwig, is one of the problems, and Jay Bruce. Uh, Jay Bruce is being benched tonight. Uh, because he can't hit right-handers, and he's facing Ryu tonight. Uh, I'll tell you, Dave, Jay Bruce strikes out about 40% of his plate appearances. 40%! is What is wrong with a major league ball player in his sixth year that he's striking that that many times? I, I, I'm not being, again, I'm not making a joke here. Is there something wrong with his sight? No, and I agree with you, Mark, because that's the same thing that I was going to bring up about the Indians tonight. They seem to swing and miss more than I think any other team in baseball, as far as I'm concerned. But then I watched the Reds on Saturday night, and I agree with you. It it seems like a lot of Major League players this year, not just the Reds and Indians, but a lot of Major League players this year are swinging and missing with a lot more regularity than they have in the past. And and I can't pinpoint what it is. I, I know for certain it's not the fact that the pitchers have gotten any better because baseball's rules all rule against the pitchers. They They want the three-run homers. They want the base hits. But, for example, you talk about the Reds hitting woes. I want to throw something out to you about the Indians. Their last 14 hits, in the last two games that they've played, Mark, have been singles. They have not hit any doubles, homers, or triples. You just cannot win major league games without getting extra base hits. So I know what you're speaking of as far as the Reds are concerned when they swing and miss, 
but you've also got to drive the ball up the alleys and hit the ball out of the park. Yes, and again, the, the Reds, what, what scares me about the Reds, there's no depth in the minor leagues offensively. There is pitching-wise. But the, the, the idea that this team could compete with this offensive lineup they have is, is ludicrous. And it was ludicrous last September when we talked about it. I remember our last show. Uh, we were talking about this. What did the teams need to do to improve? And it was clear the Reds had to get some offensive help, and they did not do it. They didn't do it in spring training. And by the time the trading deadline comes along, uh, the Reds could be 12, 15 games out of first place. It's too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, right now going into tonight's game, the Reds are 22 and 26. They're in fourth place, six and a half games behind Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been in the doldrums here lately, but they're 30 and 21. The Reds, Mark, were 3 and 3 on the week, and they won four of their last 10. Now, I guess I want to ask you, what is the prognosis on Joey Votto? Where is he at? Well, this is another soapbox issue for me. Uh, I've had that injury that Joey Votto has. And I, I'm not, in fact, I won't even call it an injury. I'll call it pain or discomfort. Uh, and again, when people of our age talk about this, it sounds like, gee, the great old days, or the, things were different back then. I can, I can guarantee you 90% of the players back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, would be playing with that injury. I would agree. It, would it be 100%? No, it wouldn't be. But no, no player's 100%. And I like Joey Votto, but this is the third or fourth time since he's come up where he's had an injury that, frankly, whether it was an emotional problem or a physical problem, psychological problem, whatever it was, he, he, he doesn't answer the bell. And for him not to be playing, I, I don't understand it. Uh, I, I talked to a doctor who was at my house last night about it, and he gave me an explanation of what that injury typically is. And even Joey Vado said he's not in that much pain. So why isn't he playing? Just his presence in the lineup would change the way pitchers approach that team offensively. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, Mark, and a lot of probably a lot of our listeners don't realize what the difference was in the 50s, 60s, and in the beginning part of the 70s, as opposed to now. Back in the 50s, 60s, and early part of the 70s, players were playing on one-year contracts. The only way they were going to get picked up for the following year was if they went out and played baseball. So they went out and they played with injuries. But what's happening now is these players have guaranteed contracts for three, four, five, even somewhere, some people upwards of ten years when you're talking about Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols and Robinson Cano, Cecil, or Cecil Fielder. I always call him Cecil. Prince Fielder. When you look at those players, any time they get a hangnail, they sit out because their agent doesn't want them to play and ruin their money-making for future years, even though they've got the guaranteed contracts. That's why these players don't play when they have a minor injury. Right, Mark? That's true. And again, I would, I would discern between playing in pain or playing with discomfort and I wouldn't expect a player to play in pain. I'm not saying go out there with a broken wrist. But I'm saying every ball player, and I've, I've played enough games. I've been in leagues where I've had to play 80, 90 games a year, which is a lot less than these guys have to play. And you get sore. I understand that. Your legs get sore. Your knees get sore. But you play. And for some of these guys, I think you're right. Uh, they're so concerned about their money-making potential that they just don't play unless everything is perfect. I've heard I've heard this year that I'd say a half a dozen pitchers and three or four position players saying, well, it just doesn't feel right. Really? It doesn't feel right. You're making $10 million a year. Get your ass out on the field and play. That's why you're here. But they don't. 
And that is, to me, the biggest difference between the players now and the players. And you said up into the 70s, I think players were playing with, you know, discomfort into the 80s and even 90s because the contracts weren't the same. I think you're right on. Joey Mark, I've got to ask you. I've got to ask you this question because that brings me into a realm. How many players get broken fingers, jammed wrists, whatever, sliding headfirst into whatever base, and they're out for weeks? But yet Pete Rose managed to do it on a consistent basis over a 25-year career. And if he broke a finger or jammed a wrist, you never knew about it. Of course, it goes back to your point. Uh, you know, the guaranteed contracts, I think, are, uh, you know, the, the reason this happens and the reason you have so many players going on the DL now compared to years ago. You're right. Back then, you did, you better not go on the DL. You lose your job. And that's what that's what drives me nuts. Even when Pete was the most highly paid singles hitter, remember when he was called that? He was the highest paid singles hitter in the history of baseball. He still played. It didn't matter to him that he was he had a guaranteed contract for two or three years. He still played. But yet you see these guys sliding head first. Now granted I don't I don't agree with sliding head first into first base, but these guys are constantly sliding into first into second base and third base and getting injured to the point where some of these managers don't want their guys sliding head first anymore. Well I ask the question why? What are they doing any differently today that they didn't do 20 years ago? Well, a couple of things. You, you said sliding into first, second, and third. I see guys sliding into home head first. Well, there was a time when you slid into home head first, you would be carried off the field because the catcher would nail you head first. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Uh, these head first slides also, I see guys sliding into head first into second base on a double play possibility. Are you kidding me? If you come in there, it, it happened last night in the Reds game where a guy slid in and, and he was blocked by Brandon Phillips with Brandon's leg. And, and the guy slides into him with his spikes, Brandon doesn't do that. <clears throat> I don't know where they're learning this stuff, but it, it makes no sense to me. <clears throat> I, I don't know where they're learning a lot of this stuff. Mark, I've got to tell you also, you talked about the Indians earlier, and we're going to get into this. We've also got our Ask Us segment coming up here in just a few minutes. But, you know, you brought it up earlier about the Indians. 53 errors in 52 games. And that leads me to a question for you, and then I want to talk a little bit about Carlos Santana. How do you straighten out? a team that was so good defensively a year ago and this year can't seem to catch a cold? I don't know. I, I mean, I've heard of teams going into fielding slumps, and I, I guess that can happen. But the, the problem, and I would bet if you'd look at the, the errors uh, with the Indians, it's predominantly in the infield uh, where they, they basically have uh, you know a lot of balls are getting through first base or third base. If you've got a, 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 if your shortstop is leading your team, that's kind of normal because they get more, they get more chances down there. But a team with a good defensive shortstop like the Reds have and Zach Cozart, I think he's only committed one or two errors this year. Uh, that that typically means you're going to have a pretty deep, a good defensive year. I'd be curious if you've got the numbers there, where all the Indians' errors are. Well, first of all, Jan Gomes, who's the catcher, is leading the team with nine errors, and that's simply because uh, he wasn't able to throw the ball to the second base, but he straightened that out. In April, he had eight errors, and over that period of time in May, he's only committed one other error. So he seems to have straightened out his throwing problems, which, as a catcher, I'll give him a break. I can kind of understand that part of it, but it's easy to rectify. As Drupal Cabrera has eight errors, Lonnie Chisenhall has eight errors. Uh, Nick Swisher has six errors. But Carlos Santana, Mark, this guy, you can't put him anywhere but DH. 
As a matter of fact, I was rather upset. You talk about Joey Votto. I was rather upset today. The Indians are low on numbers just because of what has gone on in this past week where they had two 13-inning games in a row. They used up their bullpen. It became depleted. In the game on Wednesday against Detroit, they had to go to their starting pitcher for Thursday, Josh Tomlin, in order to bring him into the ballgame and pitch three innings against Detroit because they wanted that sweep. They desperately needed it, and they got it. And I think you can sing kudos to Josh Tomlin for going to Terry Francona and coming up with that that idea. But Carlos Santana today, Mark, sat out the ball game. He was scheduled to DH, and he was under the weather. Now, I'm sorry, but I don't care if you're under the weather or not. All you're doing is hitting. You're going up to the plate four times in this game to hit. You're not going to be out in the field. So you can go back into the locker room, the, the clubhouse, and you can do whatever you've got to do to get ready for your next at-bat. But no, Santana pulled himself from the lineup. Now, I'm not saying that was the reason that the Indians got beat. But another thing I wanted to talk about, Mark, was this guy's inability to even catch anymore. He is so fundamentally poor. And he takes more foul tips off the catcher's mask. And, Mark, I caught for years. And I taught catching at the Little League level and the Pony League level. I never did this. I'm going to give you a little trick here. I never did this in front of a mother because I knew a mother would absolutely go bonkers over what I did. But I would have a catcher put on. I even did this with my own son, Mark. Had him put on all the catching equipment, and then I took a bat, an aluminum bat, and I hit him in the shin guards. Does that hurt? No. Poked him in the chest protector. Does that hurt? No. Smacked him on the back of the glove. Does that hurt? No. And then I hit him in the mask with the bat. Does that hurt? No. Is the bat getting through to your face? No. That means you can keep your eyes open when the foul, when the ball's coming in. And I taught a lot of catchers to catch that way, and it worked. But for some reason, Carlos Santana seems to want to wear the old-time mask that evidently has steel instead of padding in that mask, because every time he gets a foul tip into the mask, he gets a concussion, (laughs) or he thinks he does. This guy can't catch, Mark. He can't play third base because he can't throw. His best position is probably first base. His ideal position is DH, but he's hitting 157. How do you have a DH hitting 157? You might as well put Jason Giambi there. At least he's got the opportunity to hit a home run. I don't know what you you talk about Jay Bruce and Ryan Ludwig. I don't know what to do with Carlos Santana, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. You know that's that's amazing to me that I, I have watched his his decline over the last couple of years, and it, it's I would have bet that guy was going to be a perennial All Star when he first came up. He had an incredibly quick bat. Uh, his release was good behind the plate. He, he had some defensive uh, deficiencies for sure, but I thought it would certainly be made up by his offense. <clears throat> and it's, it's apparently the pitchers figure these guys out, and guys like Jay Bruce and Santana, they just don't make the readjustment. The pitchers figure them out, they put them on the skids, and these guys like Jay Bruce, he, he goes up and tries to hit a home run every time. <clears throat> the other night, the other night, I don't know if you saw this, they had the tying run at third base. And, in fact, they had runners the second and third, one out. They had the shift on. All Jay Bruce had to do is lay a bunt down the third base line, and the Reds tie the game. I, I, I was screaming at the TV. What am I missing? I, I don't know what you're missing, Mark. I mean, I, I look at Carlos Santana, and it's very simple to see what he's doing wrong. His swing is so long that he doesn't adjust. And he's got a high leg kick. No matter which side of the plate he's on, he's a switch hitter. He's either His leg kick is so high that by the time he puts down that front leg, the ball's by him. <clears throat> but they can't. He's, he's like uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, which was rather funny on Saturday. I, I thought the Indians' comments were very revealing about Ubaldo 
on Saturday when they they faced Baltimore and, and beat him. Mark Jan Gomes made the most revealing comment about Jimenez when he said, "We'll know within the first two innings which Jimenez we're facing: the aggressive one or the passive one." And he didn't have a fastball, Mark, in that ball game against the Indians that went over 93 miles an hour. That's what he topped out at was 93. I think he only went over 90 probably about 10, 11 times in the five innings that he pitched. Now, in the second half of last season, he started topping out at 95, 96. Now, explain to me what the difference is between the end of last season and the beginning of this season. Before you answer, I'll tell you. He was going for a contract (laughs) at the end of last year. This year, he's got the contract. You beat me to it. Uh, (laughs) I was going to say the same thing. And by the way, since you do not have the ability uh, to watch the the Reds' anemic offense, they are not only being shut out, they are not only being no hit, uh, Ryu is pitching a perfect game with two out in the sixth inning. And this would be back-to-back no hitters for the Dodgers. Wow. What inning? The sixth. Two out in the sixth. Wow. That's going to move us into our Ask Us segment for tonight. Of course, you can join us just simply by sending us an email to askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, we've got four questions tonight, which I was kind of surprised with. That just shows you the, the caliber of listeners that we have to this show, and we appreciate it. I want to send the first one out. It's from Connor Spry. Asks us, and you sort of touched upon this a little bit earlier. What will the Reds do with their rotation once Matt Latos returns? Well, I think it's pretty simple. I think they're going to keep Simon in the rotation, given what Sangrani has done. Uh, the Reds have some real problems in that bullpen. Uh, every time J.J. Hoover comes in, I want to go hide. Uh, Logan Andrusic <laughs> Logan has not pitched well. Sean Marshall has not pitched well. <clears throat> so Sangrani would be an upgrade in that bullpen, and I think there's no question uh, they would be ridiculously foolish to take out uh, uh, Simon out of that starting rotation. So <clears throat> I think Simon will replace Sengrani, and Sengrani will go to the bullpen, and hopefully J.G. Hoover will go to the minor leagues. What about Sean Marshall? Well, they, they had a long discussion about Sean Marshall, both on the Internet and uh, on TV last night. On, on, I'm sorry, on the radio. Uh, and they say he's healthy. But he's just not he's not game ready yet. He, he probably came back too early. But with with relief pitchers, it's such a fine line between you know them uh, being effective and, and being ineffective. So I think Sean Marshall will pitch his way out of it. But I'm telling you, J.J. Hoover, he is he is getting lit up. Even when he makes outs, guys are hitting the ball 400 feet. And uh, the same with Logan Andrusic. I don't know how these guys stay on that roster. But but they do. <clears throat> well, I yeah, I've often been quizzical about J.J. Hoover. I mean, it's not just this year. He had problems last year with giving up home runs at the the wrong time and and giving up base hits when uh, he was ahead in the count. I mean, what seems to be this guy's problem? Because he does appear to have electric stuff. But it's location, absolutely location. You know, his idea of a strike is right down the middle of the plate, belt high. And I don't care how hard you throw, major league hitters are going to crush that, and they have been crushing it. So it's just uh, it's remarkable they keep putting him out there. And the same with Sean Marshall. Sean Marshall has just been getting pounded. And so with Marshall, Hoover, and Andrusic all pitching poorly, uh, it's it's that's why another reason why the Reds are last in saves in the National League, and uh, their pitching, starting pitching, has been outstanding, but not the bullpen. Mark, this is my question to you. Do you feel that today's player has received the coaching that they need leading into their major league career, and are they receptive to coaching? I guess that's two separate questions, but what do you think? Well, it, it really depends on the organization. I, I think some organizations 
really teach their, their, their players well. I think the Dodgers do. The Atlanta Braves, I think, are probably one of the more fundamentally sound organizations in baseball. Uh, others don't. And what, what amazes me is how many ball players can't bunt, as an example. These guys go up there and they try to hit 500-foot home runs every at-bat. Even the middle infielders are trying to do that because that's where the money is. But when you ask him to bunt in a situation that requires it or go the opposite way, hit behind the runner, go to right field with a sacrifice fly, they can't do it. And, you know, I look at Jay Bruce. He, Jay Bruce has an amazing amount of talent, but he is so he is so weak fundamentally with his swing. It's either a home run or a strikeout. And the same with Adam Dunn. These guys are, are one-dimensional players, offensively anyway, and what I what I read the other night that that Joe DiMaggio struck out thirty seven times one year, one year struck out thirty seven times. Wow. Ted Williams struck out twenty eight times one year, in five hundred at bats, and these guys are striking out two hundred times, two hundred times, and it's it's not it's not even nobody seems to even care. Well, that's why I asked the question because. They don't seem to be interested in changing their swing whatsoever. They've just got one thing in their head, and that is go up there and swing from their heels. Yeah, that's it. And it's uh, you mentioned Todd Frazier. Uh, Todd Frazier is a decent hitter against mediocre pitching. He is defenseless against good pitching, and that's what the Reds face this year. The, you know, the, the, a guy who's five and five with a 465 ERA, yeah, the Reds might get three or four runs. But against a, a quality pitcher, they are virtually defenseless. They, they, they have no answer. And people say, well, they've been injured. Joey Votto was hitting 250 when he got, when he got hurt. Jay Bruce is now hitting 200 for the year. So it's, it's not because these guys are hurt. It's because they can't hit. Right, and and that's that's what led me to ask that question. Let's go back to our Ask Us segment. Pride and Joy asked tonight, there was a play in today's Indians game where Ryan Rayburn was thrown out at second base, and the play was challenged. It appeared from all the replays he was safe and never tagged. How does this replay system work? I, I agree with Pride and Joy on this one, Mark. It did appear, and I use that word appear, that Rayburn was never tagged going into second. The problem was was that the call was made as an out. When the call is made on the field, you have to have incontrovertible evidence to overturn the call. From the angles that they had, and they had every angle. I'm, I'm not going to complain about the angles on this one. It looked like the second baseman just dropped his glove on the ground and never tagged Rayburn sliding into second base. That's what it looked like, and that's why I used the word appeared. But you could never tell definitively, Mark, if that is indeed what happened. I think all in all, this replay system has worked very well and very quickly. What have, what's your thoughts been on it? Oh, I think it has worked, and I think there'll be there'll be plays during the year where the replay system could change the outcome of some very important games for, for the better. In other words, for the better meaning, not because I'm a Reds fan, but because they get the play right. But your, your point was well taken that if the umpire, it still goes back to the umpire, if he makes a call, for it to be overruled, it has to be incontrovertible proof. And in many cases, there just isn't. Even though it looks like... There was a play in the Reds game last night, same thing. It, it, it appeared by every, you know, every angle that they showed that the guy was out at second base. And so, but they called him safe because the umpire called it safe and it was close enough they didn't want to overrule the umpire. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, at, at some point in time, it's going to be superfluous to have base umpires because there's going to be so many cam 
you don't need them. Well, you know, why why have that? You could have the players make the call, and then if it's wrong, the, the, the cables cameras will over overrun it or overrule it. Well, the one thing replay has done, Mark, is it's done something that nobody else in this world could do, and that's make Angel Hernandez a good umpire. You know, isn't that amazing? He, he is. How does this guy keep his job? I don't know. I have no. He is the absolute worst umpire. He and C.V. Buckner, they are terrible umpires. Yeah, they're not even. They're not even average. And you would think major league umpires have to be you know, better than average. So right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just amazing. Okay, Reds fan five asked this question, which has absolutely nothing to do about the Reds or Indians. The Red Sox ended a 10-game losing streak today. Have you guys ever seen a team that was very bad one season, won a World Series the next year, and then was back to being bad again the following season? Yeah, the Miami Marlins. Uh, when they um, won a couple World Series, that's, that was basically their M.O. Uh, they would load up for one year. The next year they'd get rid of their players, and it's, it's happened before. Uh, but with the Red Sox... I think the the Red Sox were probably as bad as everybody thought they were two years ago. I think they overperformed last year. I, I, I don't think that team was that good. They got a lot of emotion in that team. They got career years out of a lot of players. And I think they've come down to earth this year. I don't think they're as bad as they played recently, but I, I don't think they're much better than a 500 team. So it'll be interesting to see how they go on from here. But uh, not that any team can be lucky in 162 games scheduled, but I think a lot of things went their way last year that uh, obviously are not going their way this year. You know, there were two teams that popped into my head on that one. The 68 and 1970 New York Mets. 69, they won the World Series, but in 68 they were terrible, and in 70 they were terrible. And the other team that popped into my head was a lot more recent, and that was the San Francisco Giants. Last year, the year before they won the World Series, and the year before that, they finished in last place, too, or close to it. How about this? The 1970 Reds, they win the National League pennant. The 1971 Reds finished fourth in the division uh, in 71, and then the 72 Reds come back and win the, the National League pennant again. Yeah, that that's another one. Here here's a, here's a trivia question, Mark. The Red Sox are the second team... Second World Series winning team to have a 10-game losing streak the year after they won the World Series. Do you know who the first team was? Uh, I would say the Marlins. You are absolutely correct, my friend. The 1998 Florida Marlins, now the Miami Marlins, yeah. won or lost 10 in a row the year after they beat... The Cleveland Indians that's right. in the World Series. Yeah, that, that's what I mentioned before, that the Indians, have, or not the Indians, but the Marlins had, had done that a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, I remember that rather well now. So uh, my, my friends uh, who listen to my show regularly, when I get these trivia questions right, I want them to know of my, you know, my knowledge and how I've wasted my life cramming baseball trivia into my brain when I should be working on other things. But... Uh, I'm sure they're impressed. I think your friends are easily impressed, right? I think they feel sorry for me. <laughs> hey, the final question we've got here tonight, Mark, and this, is again, is an ambiguous question, but I think, I think it's a good one. Terminator AC asks us tonight, who do you guys think the best manager in baseball is? Mine's Bruce Boshi. Mine is Joe Girardi. Yeah, that's not bad either. I, I just think Girardi gets the most out of his players, no matter how bad his pitching staff may be. And right now, it's in pretty much of a shambles. Uh, they still manage to stay in the race and compete. And I agree with you. Bochi's Bochy's pretty good, too. Yeah, I like him. I, I like his, his demeanor. Uh, talk about a guy who's fundamentally sound with his players. He, he does not have the biggest payroll to work with, but he's got a lot of a lot of great team players, 
and uh, that's what he did at San Diego. He had the same kind of thing down there, and uh, so he, he would be my he would be my pick. And you know he's going to be he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. That guy he's he's won what two World Series already, and uh, he's still a relatively young guy. He's 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 going to he's going to be around for a while. By the way, and what know, a lot of people don't realize, Mark, is that he was to a third World Series with San Diego. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He well, said, by the way. Ryu has now pitched a perfect game through seven against the Reds. Wow. You know, I want to reverse that question. Who do you think the worst manager in baseball is? Well, you know, you'd have to go with Brian Price, not because I doubt his his skill, uh, because he's been given a a very bad team to, to manage in his first year. So when you say worst, what 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 manager could come in and do a better job than he could with the Reds? I don't know if there's any. What would Bochy do with the Reds right now when you can't hit? <clears throat> and yet, if you look at the records and lack of experience, you'd have to say Brian Price, at, out of 30 managers, <clears throat> may be ranked 30th right now. And I, it's, again, not that I don't think he can be good, but this is the kind of thing, the kind of year... A guy waits his whole career to manage, and then your general manager gives you a team like this, and everybody says, gee, it's a manager's fault. No, it's not. No, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't know who I would say is the worst manager in baseball. I do know that there are a few managers that I really have to question what they've done. I do know I think the most overrated manager is Mike Matheny. I, I think he's overrated. I, why in the world you would ever... Th this is what I don't understand, Mark. He sat Benji Molina last night against the Reds, who have one of the best base stealers in baseball in Billy Hamilton. When today was an afternoon game, against the New York Yankees, who never steal bases. And he could have he could have caught... They were coming off of a night game on Saturday night. He had the full day Sunday to play a Sunday night game and then let him have today off against the Yankees. But why he ever caught Molina uh, today and let him set last night against a divisional foe, I just can't figure out his rationale behind that. Well, I might give you an answer... It's, okay. because, it's because Adam Wainwright has faced Billy Hamilton seven times, or eight times, and struck him out seven times. So he was probably betting Billy Hamilton wasn't going to get on base anyway. So give Molina a night off. I mean, that, that's probably what he was thinking. Billy Hamilton hasn't been, I don't think he's made contact with a pitch yet from, from Wainwright. I will say on Saturday night, Mark, they had runners at second and third. I believe it was the sixth inning, and Hamilton was up. And they called him out on a called third strike that I thought was really high. I saw the same thing, and that's so its so frustrating. You and I could make that call. We could call it wrong. You're supposed to have the umpires back there who don't miss that call. And that's where I get upset with these umpires, that they just... That, that that ball was six eight inches high, and if you if you miss him that far, you you shouldn't be in the big leagues. Yeah, I I agree with you. Okay, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. Thanks a lot for the people who sent us in questions, and you can send us in questions for next week's show just simply by emailing us to ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, did you hear about Carlos Ruiz this weekend? Uh, I did not. The Philadelphia Phillies catcher. Okay. He underwrote... I, I, I've got the story right here in front of me, but I'm going to skip ahead because this is a very detailed story. Some friends of his from his native Dominican Republic were lost at sea. They were out fishing and their boat capsized and they could not find them. Carlos Ruiz paid for the entire expedition to go out and find them. They were lost in the water for 35 to 40 hours. 
But Ruiz hired boats, helicopters, and airplanes to search for them. And on Saturday, they found them, all alive, in the ocean. And it was all because of Ruiz putting up the money for them to go out and find these guys. Good for him. That, that, that is a great story. That, that's the kind of story you like to hear from, from the ballplayers. And, uh, gee whiz, that's uh, good for him. I feel like emailing yeah, that, him and congratulating him on, on making that decision. Yeah, I almost want to follow him on Twitter and go ahead and, and send him a message, but I haven't figured out how to use Twitter yet. <laughs> Mark, Mark, you know, you mentioned this week, you mentioned at the top of the show that the Indians have had a pretty good week. Right now they're 24-28 and 28 overall after today's game. They're still in last place in the Central, but they're only seven games behind Detroit. They were ten and a half games out of first place last week, and actually now they're six and a half games behind Detroit. They've gained four games in a week just simply because the Tigers, in their last eight games, Mark, have gone one and seven, and they've scored four runs or less in five of those eight games, and they lost one to the Tribe. That was the Wednesday game when they scored ten runs. Now, I've got a guy that I'm very close to that says this doesn't surprise him. He did not think Detroit's pitching was going to hold up through the entire year. And I'll tell you what, Mark, in that three-game sweep against the Indians, they're not hitting the ball very well, but they blistered Verlander and Scherzer. And so far, those two guys are not exactly lighting it up, even though the Tigers have a pretty good record. They're they're 28-18 after this slump. But they're not playing good baseball right now. Yeah, I was particularly surprised. With, I saw Verlander pitch that game at, uh, last week, and uh, his location was off. His slider was not nearly as, as tight as it was last year. And it, it's, it's amazing how he was, he was virtually unhittable two years ago. And he's certainly come down to earth now. Now, maybe I, I'm not suggesting he's got any arm problems, but he certainly isn't throwing the ball the way he has thrown in the past. For sure. I am not saying that Verlander is wrong. And a lot of people may think that I'm joking about this, but this is really a legitimate question. His girlfriend is Kate Upton. Could she have anything to do with this? Could his focus be off of baseball? Well, if Kate Upton was my girlfriend, my focus (laughs) would not be on baseball. And uh, with, with the contract he signed... Uh, yeah, Kate Upton would get my attention. That's for sure. You know, we're well, kidding, yeah, we're kidding about that. But a lot of ball players, when they come up and they're single, there is a different vibe when you're married, and you, that that security is a good thing. But sometimes it does take you know attention away from maybe that extra workout in the off season. <coughs> Rather than going to the gym, you go shopping with your wife, and you know it must be fun shopping with Kate Upton. Yeah, definitely so. Anyway, okay, a couple of items on the Indians before we wrap up tonight's show, Mark. Nick Swisher came down on the first base bag in the eighth inning on his left knee, and it really looked pretty bad. He did leave the game after that today. The trainer says it looks fine, but they are going to do an MRI tomorrow, which figures because Swisher has finally in the last couple of weeks started to hit the baseball. And also Jason Kipnis was expected to be back in the Indians' lineup tomorrow night against Chicago. He will not be back in the lineup tomorrow night. He will be back in the lineup on Wednesday. So his rehab assignment in Columbus went well. He'll be back in the lineup. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up the rest of this week? Well, they got the Dodgers for uh, for two more games. Uh, there being no hit in, in a perfect game being tossed against them tonight. And then they go to San Diego for four games over the weekend. So uh, hopefully they can get right against the Padres because it's not going to happen against the Dodgers. Is it San Diego or Arizona? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant Arizona. You're right. Okay. I meant Arizona. Yeah. This this is a weird schedule because the Reds Reds are out west. They play the Dodgers in Arizona, and then they come home and play San Francisco. Yeah, I saw the same thing. And... Uh, I don't know why I was thinking of San Diego, other than the fact that uh, when I looked at the schedule, San Diego is one of the weaker teams in the league right now, and I was hoping the Reds could 
you know, make some hay. And if they could just win one game here against the, the Dodgers and win three out of four against San Diego, it'd be a good road trip. But uh, th- that may not happen. Yeah, definitely would. The Indians, on the other hand, they've got the White Sox tonight, tomorrow night. Then they have Thursday off, and they play Colorado at home, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then next week they've got Boston coming to town. So we'll be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Mark, until then, have a good week. Same to you, David. Good night. Don't forget our Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up on Thursday at 7 o'clock. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. We'll be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Until then, good night, everybody.